Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Fewer team, the only, the, the, uh, you got the this. teams that only... <laughs> It is the end of the season, which means it's time for the front free season review. Adam Boltwood here alongside Statman Dave. Oh, yeah. Exciting times. Uh, and Chris Hennage. Evening. Lawrence McKenna on holiday in Naples. In case you were wondering, having a great time. I'm sure living the dream. Lawrence, if you're listening, enjoy yourself out there, pal. Let's not waste any time, though, guys. Let's get straight into it, the Premier League season review. We're going to be rating and reviewing every single team, grading them from A to F, and you in one particular case. There's only one place to start, though, Chris. It's A. It's Arsenal. Uh, What better place to start after yesterday? It was confirmed they missed out on a place in the top four for the first time under Arsene Wenger, uh, for the first time in his 20-year tenure at the club, uh, finishing... Outside the top four for the first time since the 1995-96 campaign under Bruce Rioch. Um, a 3-1 win over Everton. Not enough in the end with Liverpool and Manchester City both winning comfortably. Of course, the FA Cup final is still to come this weekend. Um, you know, that, that potentially will have a say in how we look back on this season for Arsenal, Chris. But on the whole, it's been a failure, has it not? Because although... Their points tally was higher than it was last season, although the goal scored was higher than it was last season. They have seemed to have stood still in a way while all the teams around them have improved, resulting in them finishing outside the top four. It, it is a failure, undeniably it's a failure. And as I've said before, it's a failure because Wenger chose to define himself by this criteria. And when he said the top four was an achievement, then it means the second he stopped making the top four, then he stopped achieving. They will <clears throat> contest the FA Cup. I think given that it's Chelsea, there is absolutely no guarantee they will win that. And even if they do, it's not progress either. That's that's the thing. It, it, achievement, I think, and progress are sometimes different things. And so for Arsenal, the achievement was getting in the top four, which they failed to do. Progress would be potentially challenging for the league title. They didn't do that either. So I think it, it paints them into a very peculiar picture this summer because it doesn't look like Arsene Wenger is going to leave. And and as have as I've seen for a, a few seasons now, it gets to this part of the year or this part of the, the football calendar, if you will. And there's usually a story in Le Keep or somewhere like that 
that talks about a big spend or something impending that will drastically change the way that Arsenal fans look at the situation, you know, whether it was Benzema or whoever. And it usually, to me, looks like a grab for season tickets because it's trying to just stir up excitement. I've seen a few clubs do it, or try it, I should say, with a, a well-placed news story. Yeah. I, I just think that... Arsenal's I, I think the, his position the, is untenable. The infamous £40 million war chest, I think, at this time, uh, that seems to come out of the woodwork. Um, you, you think his position is untenable. He... He hasn't confirmed his his future as of yet. Uh, he seemed to sort of take the the burden for the underperformance this season on his shoulders yesterday after the game, Dave. Undoubtedly, it's been his toughest season. I mean, he spoke of a poisonous atmosphere that his team have had to compete in since the turn of the year. Where do you think it went wrong for Wenger this season? Because obviously there's long-running factors and long-running issues that have sort of played into the underperformance this season. I think there's been issues. I think the, the, the big turning point was January. Ozil and, and Sanchez's future, you know, the 18 months left on the deal, that honestly completely um, derailed Arsenal's season. Before that, Alexis Sanchez was absolutely rocking at false nine and, and the sort of fallout came. Wenger pushed him to the left wing. Arsenal started to massively underperform in, in big games in a big time in the season where they needed to win. So then for me, I think it's a, it's a big contract thing. It's not just on Wenger, it's also on the club, it's on everything. And um, you know, players like Sanchez, Ozil, maybe they need to look at themselves a little bit harder in the mirror to, to you know, understand a little bit more about what's happened this season. So, you know, I think it's it's more of a, a collective thing, not just Wenger. I think there's there's more to to be answered for at the club, especially. So it, it's just a bit of a mess, and unfortunately, it's it cost them the Champions League. What the first time in 20 years? It's incredible, Indeed. absolutely incredible. So. I think, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of problems. And I think it did start in that in January, around the time of when tra- the transfer window um, came. So it's one of these things where next next season, you know, Arsenal may need to be a little bit smarter in the summer when offering their, their players new deals. You know, when 24 months comes up, do it then. Because you can't lose games in the summer. You could lose games in January. And I think that's a big thing Wenger may lo- learn from this season. Oh, I mean, so as well, they want a sporting director. Yeah, it seemed, that's, that's this is what I mean thing. in terms of, I said a few weeks back, could could this actually be a good thing for Arsenal in terms of it will shock them into to change, they'll realise, listen, the problems are so deep, we need to do something about it here. Be it, as you're mentioning there, Chris, the talk that they might potentially bring in a sporting director, Wenger may not now have final say over transfers, they're going to start to maybe uh, share the responsibility almost from, you know, almost, a, I don't want to say a dictatorship at Arsenal, but there are changes being made because they realise, you know, this situation can't continue, Chris. I, I think I think you're right. It's not a dictatorship as much as it, it's a central figure of power, which is part of the problem, that when you get rid of him, the people hiring his replacement and a potential sporting director have no experience in hiring that kind of candidate. And let, let's take... Southampton, for example, I know they have a much lower uh, expectation, but their ability to transition from coach to coach to coach is partly influenced by the fact they know what they're looking for, they know the qualities they want, and they've got experience hiring a manager. I think with Arsenal, they simply don't. And you then look at them trying to get a sporting director, and you're going to try and put that person... I know it's, it's been suggested it could be Mark Overmars, for example, former Arsenal player. You try and put Mark Overmars in a room with Arsene Wenger, and I don't see a situation where Wenger allows himself to be overruled consistently. It's, that's, that's sometimes the difficulty I have with the sporting director 
uh, approach to football is that really you're constantly looking for a compromise. If you say, well, the manager has equal say and the sporting director has equal say. And I think invariably what you then push yourself into is a position whereby come, say, 12 months down the line, say, for example, I'm the manager and Lawrence is the sporting director and I push to sign Dave and Lawrence pushes to sign you, Adam. And Dave does fantastically, but Adam, you struggle. Then I'm going to take the credit for my success and say, well, it wasn't me who wanted to sign Adam. It was Lawrence that pushed to sign Adam. And that's the kind of problem you have is that you make it so that every success is claimed aggressively and every failure is pushed onto someone else instead of a collective acceptance of, well, we did this right, but we didn't do this right. And I think for Arsenal, now you need to put in a situation, I don't necessarily think it's over Mars, you need to put in a position where the sporting director has a huge, a huge or greater say on the transfers and the manager is allowed to feed into that but accepts that they will not have the decision-making powers. Mm, it was, and it was an interesting one this weekend after the win at Everton. Wenger sort of came out and said, you know, one day I'll be able to sort of say what what's happening behind the scenes, almost sort of hinted at something going on that, that we're not aware of. Um, as it stands, though, I think it will be an interesting time for, for Arsenal in the summer. Things are definitely going to be shaken up, as we're saying, finishing outside of the top four for the first time in 20 years. In terms of our predictions earlier at the start of the season, Dave, uh, I went for fourth because I thought, you know, they're always going to finish top four. You went for third. Lawrence got it bang on, fifth place he went for in the end. Um, so a solid prediction from him. How are we going to grade Arsenal's season then? I think, is a C fair? Do we need to go lower than that, Dave? It's got to be a failure. It's got to be an F, right? An absolute F. failure of a system. I don't know, fifth in the end. The Champions League. I think that's, it's done. I think whether they win the FA Cup or not, it's kind of redundant now. I think the the fans have turned on Wenger, they've turned it, on the board, they've turned on absolutely everyone. It won't make a difference winning the FA Cup. It won't make a difference. F seems a little bit harsh. Chris, should we go for maybe a D? Can we can we rate Arsenal season? Um, no, I'm inclined to say F. I, I think Oof. I think look, it's very easy to be polarizing with Arsenal. The problem is you have to look at it a failure because not only, as I said, not only have they not progressed. I would actually argue they've done the antithesis. They've regressed now because they're out of the top four. They don't have Champions League football next season, I think, unless uh, Manchester United win the Europa League. And even then, getting in off their coattails, that's not an achievement. That's good fortune, I think. Been overruled. We're going for F um, for Arsenal's season. What about Bournemouth, guys? Ninth place finished for Eddie Howe's team actually ended up a season scoring 55 goals. That's more than Manchester United managed. Oh, yeah, we've heard that stat floating around yeah, a bit, stat haven't we? Attack, little stat attack. Uh, <laughs> what do you reckon, Dave? Because there was a point uh, not so long ago we were talking about Bournemouth maybe slipping into trouble in the end. Their, their late season form has seen them finish ninth in the top half. Uh, a, an outstanding achievement, would you say, for Bournemouth this season and for Eddie Howe? Yeah, ma- massively. It's an A. 100% an A. You know, going from 16th last season to now being ninth is an incredible achievement for Eddie Howe. You know, he's he's proved me wrong. His end-of-season form has been fantastic. He's been massively inspired by Joshua King um, in 2017. Harry Kane's the only player to score more goals than Joshua King. He's sort of finally just found a little bit of rhythm, a little bit of form. Um, I think Bournemouth still have got a way to go. Um, 
But at the moment, they're they're looking they're looking good. They finished the season so well. If they can keep King in in the summer, um, and he can build on you know his great end of season form, they've got a goal scorer there. I feel still they need something in central midfield a little bit more physicality if they want to take themselves to the next level. But by God, has Eddie Howe done a good job? You know, he's proved me wrong. Well done, Eddie. Congratulations. You've got an A, sir. Eating humble pie. I like that, Dave. Um, he's right though, Chris. In terms of Bournemouth, only lost two of their last ten. Uh, seen them finish in the top half. Uh, what did you make of their performance this season? Um, I, I, I thought, I thought in in a lot of ways it was progress for them because they they felt comfortable. They did. I never felt they were going to be in relegation trouble. And yet, I look at it and think, have you been as efficient as possible? And again, maybe that's being hypercritical. I look at the way they invested their money. And you point to Jordan Ive, you point to Brad Smith. There's £21 million on two players that weren't starters for Liverpool that I don't think will drastically improve them next season. And and you say, well, you know, everyone makes mistakes in the transfer market, but those are pretty massive ones. And I look at the previous season where I think actually Eddie Howe got a lot of things right um, with his deals, the likes of Max Gradle, I thought was a, a good player. But then even you know Tyrone Mings, there's 10 million. I don't know if he's quite lived up to potential yet. And you read today that they're, they're trying to get Jermaine Defoe on a, a three-year deal at 100,000 pounds a week. I don't know how. I don't know how good that kind of spending is for a club like Bournemouth, because one bad season, and they're back in the Championship potentially, saddled with uh, players that will will cripple them financially, and. It goes back almost, funnily enough, to to that Arsenal situation. And perhaps it's fitting, given Eddie Howe was was tipped for Arsenal. I think he needs a sporting director. I think he needs someone to take that pressure off him because I don't think he he's quite got the eye for for talent um, or a deal. Perhaps is a, a better way to characterise. I don't think he's got the eye for a deal that a club like Bournemouth need. Lawrence was the closest of his prediction. Dave, he went for for twelfth, not bad. I went for fourteenth. You went for seventeenth thought they'd be struggling more than they were. You think an A is a fair fair grade for, for Eddie Howney's team? Mm, yeah, I always grade myself oh, all these managers on my prediction. I think he's outperformed what I thought. So I think, yeah, Ooh. he's definitely got to get an A. Massively outperformed. Um, but I do think, uh, you know, like Chris is saying, they need to be a lot smarter with their money. Um, in the some of the, some of the signings they have made have been a little bit dodgy. Spent a lot of money on some players that aren't really first team. What Eddie Howe's done well is, is the coaching side of it, is improving players... Um, you know, the likes of Ryan Fraser, the likes of Junior Stanislas, you know, Lewis Cook, who's coming to the side, Harry Arter. These are real, like, core working players. I don't think he's got an eye for flair players, and I'd argue he doesn't have a great eye for picking the defensive players. You'd argue Steve Cook, Simon Francis, they are still there. Charlie Daniels, they've been there some, since League One. So there is a little bit of movement that, that Eddie Howe would need to do, and whether a sporting director is the right guy could be a very good option for Eddie Howe, especially. Burnley, moving on. 16th they finished in the end, uh, 40 points in total, 33 of those points though coming at Turf Moor, coming at home for Sean Dyche's side. I mean, at the start of the season, a lot of people expect them to go down. Uh, myself, David Lawrence, all had them finishing 19th in the end. Chris, I think they've confounded expectations given the budget, given the restrictions they've got compared to teams around them. It has to be seen as a success for Burnley this season. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think... Um... I think that's the thing with, with Sean Dyche. I know he talks himself up a bit. I think he's at the perfect club in, in Burnley. 
um, how patient fans would be a few years down the line. If it's the same, it's difficult to gauge. I know he's highly thought of at the minute and is considered one of, if not the best Burnley manager ever, which is a, a, a bold statement. I think his ability to mesh British players together is, is good. And yeah, this, this season's been an improvement for him. What do you make of Sean Dyche's season, Dave? Because as I said, 33 points out of four weeks coming at home. A real area for improvement next season if they are indeed going to push on from this 16th place finish. Well, I think the big thing was with Burnley was how to stay up. You know, the reason why we had them in 19th was because they were so poor in their last um, experience in the Premier League. But again, like you're saying, what they've done so well is their home record. It's absolutely unbelievable. They've conceded just 20 goals at home, which is a very, very good achievement. Um, and of course, in terms of goals scored, they've done well at home as well. So I think it's one of these things where, you know, we've got to celebrate Sean Dyche's English style in, in quotation marks, you know, the 4-4-2, defending very deep, allowing the likes of uh, Ben Mee and Michael Keane to really excel in what they do well. And that's clear the ball, that's defend. You know, Will Keane is a player that has been linked with a move back to Manchester United in terms of, um, you know, aerial dual wins in the Premier League. He's ranked number one for defenders. So he's very dominant. And that's how Burnley play. They push you out wide. They allow you to get across into the box, which favours them. In a way, Burnley are like the poor man's Man United um, under Mourinho at the moment. They're like the sort of the building blocks as you take it further to go down the sort of Mourinho adding in those attacking midfielders and so forth, adding a little bit more flair in there. But it's sort of a similar side. They defend exactly the same way. You know, Stephen DeFore has been a half-decent signing. Um, Sammy Vokes has done well. Um, you know, both top scorer and top assister in the Premier League from this season. So it, it's been decent. It's a decent season for Sean Dyche. And he's performed very, very well for the limited resources and it surprises all by staying up in the Premier League. B or an A? I think it's a... A-. A-minus. An A-minus. A-minus. It's, okay. it's been a decent a decent season for them and they've made uh, Turf more a, for, a formidable ground to go and play against. You know, Fortress. top sides go there and they, you know, they really struggle. So it's a real good season from Sean Dyche. A-minus, fair enough, Chris. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Hmm. I mean, you mentioned Michael Keane there. Dave, as you said, linked for a move back to Manchester United. 25 million, arguably Burnley's player of the season. Would you like to see him back at Old Trafford for that price? Well, I think the the real interesting thing with Michael Keane is it shows such a short-term vision of Manchester United Football Club. Um, you know, why they sold him. It's an interesting one, a player coming through the academy, a good defender. I don't think that's ever been talked about. The reason why United sold him was because he was poor on the ball. If you remember that game against MK Doms, he was absolutely atrocious um, in three of the four goals. Michael Keane's positioning was awful. Defensively, didn't suit playing a back three. But now if you think about Manchester United and what Manchester United need as a defender, Michael Keane fits that bill. Solid defensively, um, is very good when the back four is organised, when, you know, in terms of interceptions, clearance and so forth, what I mentioned before, very, very good at dealing with that. So it's just a weird one, um, you know, in terms of Premier League, he's, he's made the most blocks as well as winning the most aerial duels as a defender. So it would 100% make sense now. But the reason United sold him was because he didn't fit Louis van Gaal. But to sell someone for £2 million to buy back for 25 just seems like such bad business. Who's making these decisions at Manchester United? I do not know. Big Ed. Big old Ed. Uh, doing his old, uh, up to his old tricks again. Um, yeah, and he's a terrible, you know, he's, he's kind of shown that he's pretty awful at what he does. To be quite <laughs> he, is, he is indeed. Um, Chelsea, guys, the Premier League champions this season. Uh, the first side to win 30 games in a single Premier League campaign. Uh, their points ha- their points tally of 93, also the second highest seed in a Premier League season. Deserving champions in the end, Chris? Uh, I think so, yeah. I, th- I think 
the thing is that they were consistent and and maybe maybe they weren't always the most expansive maybe the, the football wasn't always amazing but I think what they did was they adapted to the situation the best and and sometimes that that is key in winning a title um, the, the things about next season are obvious more games etc etc but I think where you have to give Conte credit is he came in with a squad that I don't think was as balanced as he's made it look. I actually think there were some glaring holes in there. And what he did was he managed to avoid those holes by picking systems and, and founding things on a back three, which meant that he could use centre-backs and ignore the fact that really at full-back they were, they were actually quite limited. Because I don't really think Marcus Alonso is a left-back, even though I've seen him play there a number of times. And even as Piliqueta, he's a solid fullback. But again, it's what that allows you to do with the rest of the team that I think raises questions. Um, and so, yeah, I think he's done really well. I think it's a good point Chris makes there in terms of the early season expectations. I mean, only you out of the three of us, uh, myself, uh, Lawrence, and you, Dave, you had Chelsea finishing their top four. We had them finishing fifth. Uh, Lawrence had them finishing sixth. Yeah, so like, I mean, you didn't get much else. Uh, if at all correct oh, but oh, you do I got this one right though Adam did I well not really you took yeah four, so pretty much I predicted correct. the Premier League champions in fact it's quite an interesting one <laughs> I, I do take a lot of credit for that was... and I also said if Chelsea do switch to a back three in this the chat if I said Chelsea's pick to switch to a back three early they'll win the league they'll win the league I didn't probably say that but I said they maybe could the, the title you need to find the audio and I think the thing with that. that is it's 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 quite interesting to see why did it take him so long to move to that? Why did it take him till signing David Luiz that was at the back end of August to change to this system? You know, got thumped 3-0 by Arsenal. In that game, they switched to this 3-4-3. Why did it take him so long? Why did he not? Why did he try and force playing a 4-4-2, force playing a 4-3-3? Because quite frankly, he had a system there that was so good. And the system he's built has been incredible. You know, in terms, since turning to that um, system, they've scored the most goals. They've conceded the fewest. They've kept the most clean sheets. They've just been absolutely incredible. You know, we talk about Spurs, best clean sheet record in the Premier League, um, you know, fewest goals and whatever. But if you take it since Chelsea switched to the system, Chelsea win the league. And that's why Chelsea won the league, because of the system. You know, getting the best out of Eden Hazard. He's been directly involved in 23% of their goals across all competitions. I think around 20% in the Premier League. He's been fantastic. And, the, you know, his freedom on the counter-attack, his freedom to playmake, his freedom to not do any defensive work is covered up by someone like Marcus Alonso. That's why the system is so beautiful, because when you've got a defensive weakness, it's fixed by um, someone doing a lot more, you know, running a bit harder. In terms of distance covered, Alonso's um, covered more ground than any other Premier League wing-back. So it's one of these things where, um, you know, you've got some weaknesses, it's covered up by another one of your teammates. You know, Chelsea struggle in central midfield for playmaking. Eden Hazard comes in there from the left wing. It's just a perfect system and I'd love to see it evolve. I'd love to see what Conte does next season, whether he goes to a 3-5-2, um, whether he can keep a number of these stars. You know, we're talking Costa, we're talking Eden Hazard. Um, that, that link's gone down a bit, actually. That was quite an interesting one. Maybe a few week, a weeks ago, it was big on the Florentino Perez saying Eden Hazard was a great player. Dan was talking about him. Um, Benzema was talking about him, but that's kind of died down. So if Chelsea can keep Hazard, there's rumours that they, he's going to get a £300,000 a week contract. That's what Chelsea need to do. Um, but also, you know, you think of what United did against Chelsea. They nullified Chelsea because they had a man-to-man -man, um, marker on Eden Hazard. It killed their attack. And that's what Chelsea need to build on, is creating another um, playmaker in their side, whether it's at centre-half or it's, whether it's at central midfield. They need mm. to just evolve slightly because teams are going to sit off them. 
you know, next season, if we see another counter-attacking team win the Premier League, I'll be amazed. I think it's going to go back to a possession-based team that will win the Premier League. Um, you know, that's why Pep Guardiola will be seen as a favourite. That's why Pochettino's team will be seen as favourites. But, you know, we've seen some, some, you know, who predicted Chelsea, who predicted Leicester, both playing on the counter-attack, which means that Man United are going to win the league next season. <laughs> you heard it here first. You heard it here first. Um, we have to give Chelsea an A, don't we, Chris? I mean, as Dave says there, you know, Conte... Uh, you know, bringing that system in, a lot of question marks at the start of the season, whether his temperament would, would mesh with this squad, a lot of question marks over whether he could get the best out of these players. He has, um, as we said before, uh, the first team to win 30 games in a Premier League season. Quite sensational stuff. And it's, it's an A, isn't it? If not an A+. Plus. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's go for A+, plus, seeing as they are the champions. Is that fair? Um, let's talk Crystal Palace then. Uh, not so good under Alan Pardew. Probably an F under, uh, under Pards. But under Big Sam Dave, he's, he's done what he does best. He's saved yet another team. Palace in the end finishing 14th on 41 points. Not great at the, at the tail end of the season. Uh, only one win in the last five, four defeats. But big wins at Chelsea, big wins at Liverpool and at home to Arsenal of what saw them, uh, saw them lift themselves up the table to safety in the end. Well, a famous man once said, Adam, the Big Sam doesn't get relegated in the Premier League. He's the guy that just doesn't go down. And I think the the big thing was to get that run of form. And, you know, I did mention March. It started in February. Um, You know, they won six games out of the next seven. They beat Arsenal. Like you mentioned, they beat Liverpool. Very impressive performances. Christian Bentake, Wilfred Zaha. Um, and they just got the balance right in terms of their attack and their defence, something that they didn't have under Pardew. You know, they just strategy-wise was absolutely all wrong. Big Sam comes in um, and he really, you know, makes something out of Jason Punchin, a player that he played attacking midfield, but under Pardew was more of a playmaker, under Allardyce was more of a worker. So it was just a, a nice thing to see also, like Andros Townsend with great form, you know, and Kabai hitting a little bit of peak. But I think it was all about Sacco. You know, he's played how many games for Palace? Like, you know, a handful of games maybe like 12 appearances, something. Um, But he's been up there for voted, no, seven appearances in the Premier League he's made. And he's been voted, you know, close to be voting their player of the season. His impact is absolutely incredible. His win rate is ridiculous. You know, the amount of um, work that he got through in terms of defensive sense has been very, very impressive. Averaging eight defensive actions per game, plus your tackles, plus your aerial duels is is impressive. And I think Sacco, is it a mistake for Liverpool? Is that something we need to talk about at Liverpool? Was it wrong for, um, you know, him to let, Sacco go, uh, even though he obviously got this attitude problem, but we know what a good defender he is. So for, for Sam Allardyce, I think it's an A for um, for Pards. Is it an F? <laughs> he absolutely rubbish. Yeah, absolutely rubbish. Um, where does that level out, do you think, Chris, in terms of overall score? I think you know myself and Lawrence both predicted that the Palace would finish mid-table. Dave went for, for relegation. In the end, uh, they finished 14th. I mean, and against Adam, sorry, I just want to drop a disclaimer in here again. Mm. I said, if Sam Allardyce takes over from yeah, Crystal yeah. Palace, they're staying up. Yeah, oh, yeah. they're going down. I, you need to find evidence of all this, mate. I, I don't, I don't this remember. This is true. I don't this remember is, any of this. this. Just after um, Big Sam got sacked. You for, said Slatan um, was going to score 20 goals. I mean, how that worked out. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, Chris, what do you reckon? I think overall, Palace, in terms of their success this season, is it uh, a, a sort of a see almost sort of leveling out those those two halves to the season almost yeah I, th- I think you know what it is to, to almost zoom out for a second and look away from Pardew Allardyce etc Crystal Palace is a club under Steve Parrish they came up into to the league and everything 
and I think they had real ambitions. The, the stadium there is, a, is, by all accounts, a great experience. And then you saw that shift under Pardew where they get the likes of Kabay in and they try and shop with a, a little bit of quality in there. They start to, to invest a decent amount of money. Again, I, I just think they could be smarter with it. And the thing I find so bizarre about Palace, granted it's a step up to when they were in the championship and, and guys like Victor Moses and Zahar and Klein were getting a shot. By all accounts, they've got a very good youth system and I'm surprised that some players aren't getting more of an opportunity. And And this is the thing I'm very much of the opinion that you should be trying to always bring through maybe half a dozen in your squad that are from the academy because it's the cheapest, most cost-effective way to do it. And I think, in a, granted, in a city like London, it's very hard to get the best talent. But I think equally, not all the best talent is going to go to Chelsea or Arsenal. They're going to choose Palace because they know they've got more of a chance of making it actually in the professional game. C. We'll, we'll go for a C. I think that's fair enough. Um, overall. Uh, Everton, in the end, they finished ninth. No. <clears throat> Everton, in the end, they finished seventh. Um, a season of progress, uh, potentially under Ronald Koeman. Chris, would you say? I mean, uh, Everton now in Europe, once again, albeit the Europa League. Uh, I mean, of course, there's question marks over Romelu Lukaku. There's question marks over Ross Barkley. But is optimism warranted at Goodison Park? Definitely. Um, I, I think, yes, you've got that difficulty of, of having Liverpool on your doorstep and trying to compete with them. But actually looking at it, I think Everton have, have made some pretty decent signings. You look at Morgan Schneiderlin. I think Ashley Williams is a good stopgap in terms of improving their defence. I think they need a, a reliable goalkeeper next season. The Lukaku issue is not ideal, of course. You have to think that a sale of him, though, then funds a lot of more, a lot more new faces. And and to be fair to to Corman, from what I've seen, he seems to have a good eye. Um, I know he looked a lot at Tony Villena when he was at, at Southampton. So you have to think maybe he can exploit the Dutch market a little bit, which I think is having a bit of a resurgence in terms of the talent it's producing. And then on on top of that, you've got Tom Davies in there as well, who I think is for me playing like someone that's been in the league for a few years in what is his first season. I think what's important for him on an individual level now is just getting some perspective in the summer because you look at Ross Barkley who broke through and didn't kick on. I think Davis has to avoid that similar trap. Um, if if Everton are serious about wanting to, to break that top four and, and try and get in there, I think you have to do everything you can to keep hold of Lukaku, as difficult as it is because... He does kind of push them over a barrel sometimes with his comments. Um, I just think replacing him is one of those situations where as much money as you might get, hypothetically, it'll be harder to replace him in terms of legwork, time and effort rather than actual financial investment. Mm. He became the fourth player in Premier League history to score 80-plus goals before turning 24 years old this season. A uh, big player, almost finished uh, as the Golden Boot winner, had it not been for Harry Kane's last two games, where he was on absolute fire. Um, but broadly speaking, Dave, I mean, I know you're not Ronald Koeman's biggest fan, but a seventh-place finish gives them something to build on for next season. Are we going for a C? Are we going for a B? What are we saying? In terms of Koeman, you know, I don't think he's the greatest manager 
I think someone like um, you know Lucien Favre, who was available in the market, would have been a far better option for Everton. Would have potentially got Everton into the top six. Um, you know, with someone like Romelu Lukaku, like you mentioned, scored a hatful of goals this season, twenty-five, in fact, in the Premier League. Like, surely you should be pushing someone like Manchester United. You know, they've been very, very poor this season for that glorious sixth position. Um, so again, for Kuman, it's going to be a big summer. What we mentioned before, keep Lukaku, keep Barkley. There's questions there. You know, if Lukaku goes, that's a big one. Who do you replace? You need a goal scorer. Maybe someone like Tammy uh, Abraham's done very well at Bristol City in the Championship, could take that step up. He's not going to go back to Chelsea, let's all be honest with ourselves, and get game time there. Maybe if they do get rid of Lukaku or Lukaku goes to Chelsea, get Tammy Abraham's in return, that could be a good bit of business. But I think it's 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 a decent season. It's about par for Everton in terms of their, you know, their wage spend and so forth. It's about par. So I'm going to give them a par score of about a B. Maybe a B minus. That's about average, right? B minus. We'll go for B minus. Um, let's talk Hull City. Relegated, of course, this season. Finishing 18th on uh, on 34 points. Obviously, I mean, you could argue they were they were in trouble from the start under Mike Phelan. Absolutely atrocious start to the season, Chris. Marco Silva, though, came in. Things were looking good. We backed them to avoid relegation uh, with, uh, with Silva there. Unfortunately, though, they... They completely fell apart in the last seven games. Only one win in those seven. Uh, that 2-0 loss to Sunderland, who were already relegated, I believe, at the time. Sort of the final now in the coffin for Hull. Yeah. It, it's a difficult one to try and really gauge their season because it looked utterly hopeless at many points. And then when Silva came in, I think expectations rose because of how well he did. I, I think if, if I, again, do almost what I did with Palace and zoom out for a second... I have to think it's an F because aside from Phelan and players and anyone else, it's the owners that have, if you pardon my French, fucked over the fans here. Nobody else. Their decision not to spend money, their decision to to really remove a lot lot of the chance that Hull had of staying up, it's a a massive big fat F for that reason alone. And And it's really a shame, not because I think Hull have got anything special or unique to give the Premier League but because I think every team that comes up whether it's Blackpool or Newcastle or, or Leeds or whoever the size is, is inconsequential what is is they all deserve a chance of sporting integrity and I think honestly those owners took that away when they started messing around in the way that they did Hard to disagree with that isn't it Dave an F overall for the club um, Marco Silva though I mean what did you make of him Obviously, uh, why has it always got to be a foreign manager became a, a popular phrase uh, yeah. after Paul Merson sort of made his judgment on Marco Silva. He sort of proved himself to be an astute manager in a sense. Couldn't save Hull in the end, as I said, the late season form collapsing. But looks like he could be off to either potentially Southampton, potentially to Porto. Do you think he did about as well as he could do? No, I'd give him an A. I think he, he turned he turned a very, very bad squad around with signings, with, with coaching and why a foreign manager? Because they're better than English coaches at the moment, unfortunately. I think that's something that is a theme. Um, you know, someone like Silva coming in at his age and doing so well is very impressive. But I can kind of, you know, echo what Chris is saying. They had 14 players at the start of the season. 14 players. Then they signed, I think they got Mike, Michael Keane. No, sorry, Will Keane, sorry, on a free transfer. And you, you sign Will Keane. He's been he's injury prone for like X amount of time. And he picked up another knee injury, the poor lad. You know, fantastic, talented player. But just got a problem with injuries 
you know, you're signing someone like that. It just seems like such bad business. And then again, in January, you're signing 20 players, but they're all silver players. So they actually played, performed quite well. I think Markovic played quite well for Holland stages. Uh, but again, yeah, it's just an absolute failure of a club. Silver gets an A, an A star maybe, an A plus, whatever you want to call it, gets the best wow. but around. The, the but club. The club. F. Yeah, maybe even worse than an F, a Z. Uh, we all had them finishing bottom, um, so they did better than our expectations at least. Um, but yes, hold relegated, we'll give them an F. Uh, let's move on to Leicester City, who of course finished 12th, quite a season for them. Uh, once again, a season of two halves, sacking Claudio Ranieri uh, nine months after leading them to the Premier League title, of course. Um, they were in relegation trouble at the time, Chris. Craig Shakespeare, though, came in, became the first British manager to win his first five games in the Premier League, lifted them up to 12th in the end, a mid-table finish, which people were sort of expecting at the start of the season. Um, how are we going to rate this one? I'm going to say an E. <sighs> an E for a mid-table finish by the Premier League champions? That's, do you know, I think that's almost uh, path the course, is it? Well, I think a lot of people are expecting them to fall away. 12th is a... Uh, yeah, but given where they were. Yeah, okay, that's probably fair. No, I'm probably being hypercritical. Um, I I would say C because because as you say, mid table. The problem is, I don't I don't know what damage they did in terms of the way they handled Ranieri. It's one thing to let him go, but the way it transpired just made it seem like there is absolutely no sentiment or appreciation at that football club. Not necessarily from supporters. But from those who who sign the checks and make the the decisions, and you, and you look at the way that even Kasper Schmeichel answered questions about influence and the owners, none of it left a a sweet taste in the mouth. It was all a little bit bitter by the end. Um, and actually, you know, even even looking at the signings, yes, I think Ndidi came in and did well. But you look at Slamani, you look at Musa. There's what four? Actually, it might even be more. 45 million maybe 50 million a talent there and and has either made a, a sizable impact not really mm. i mean chris makes a good point there dave the club hasn't come out well from this even though potentially you could argue they've been vindicated in their decision to to let go of ranieri with the club flirting with relegation they're now in mid table but at the same time, it is strange to to see the turnaround in performance. Having won the league under Ranieri, to have those those six months at the start of the season be so poor, and yet here we are now. How do we how do we grade this as a whole? It's not been a great season. It's all a D um, at best, I'd say. You know, going from Premier League um, champions, but again, the expectation was there. Instead of them having to sit back and hit teams on the break, now they have to break teams down. They didn't solve that problem in the transfer market. They didn't sign a creative midfielder, something that I mentioned a few times in the, you know, in the in the build-up to the, the Premier League, that Leicester City are going to have to do something different. They can't play the same way. They're going to have to switch away from the 4-4-2. And it's something that Ranieri spent these last two months of his Leicester City career tinkering with a 3-5-2, tinkering with a 4-4-2 diamond, tinkering with all sorts of shapes. Maybe that was something that he should have worked on in the summer, something that he should have developed this 4-3-3 maybe. You know, signing someone like um, Soleimani was just absolutely mental, like completely against what Leicester City did. They pressed from the front. So is a bigger striker. He's a target man type striker. If they were to move away, if they were to get rid of um, Jimmy Vardy, if they were to get rid of Riyad Mahrez, it's fair enough. But they didn't. That was the problem. They they were stuck between trying to move on and not move on. You know, imagine someone like Soleimani playing with Akben Musa in a 4-3-3. That really works. You've got pace on, on a wing and you've got a target man. 
you build off that with a three-man midfield, but you have to sign another central midfielder in there that could control, control the game, something that they didn't have in Danny Drinkwater and Gulo Kante. And that's the problem. As a champion, you need to evolve. If you stop evolving as a champion, you're not going to win the league. And that's what happened to Leicester. But they not just win the league, they struggle massively. Mm. And it is down to some of the players. I think there are some players that need to be called out there. The likes of Riyad Mahrez as an absolute stinker of a season. Jamie Vardy, nowhere near last season. Danny Drinkwater, nowhere near last season. Um, the whole back four, nowhere near last season. So I think, and obviously Kasper Schmeichel has actually been quite good. But again, like Chris is saying, a negative influence in the dressing room. So it's not been a good season for Leicester, but they, they've done what they've had to do. They've stayed in the Premier League. Hmm. And they didn't be the first champions ever to be relegated. So it's, it's, it's a good and bad season for them, but mainly a bad season. And a big thing they need to address in the summer, what do they do? Craig Shakespeare's not the answer. They need to get a new manager in. So who's that going to be? Big, big questions. Do you think they'll keep Craig Shakespeare there? I, I think they will, and they'll, real, they'll realise two months into the Premier League season that he's not the right guy for the job. D overall, then. We'll give Leicester a D overall. Um, I think that falls in the middle. We had them finishing uh, We had them finishing mid-table. I think I went for eighth. Davey went for ninth. Lawrence, closest once again. He went for 11th, so only one place off. Uh, let's move swiftly on to Liverpool. Unfortunately, Lawrence isn't here uh, to talk about his team's performance. Not been in pressed I think it's fair to say over the course of the season yeah, he's seen some downsides at the end of the day though Chris they have finished in the top four for only the second time in eight seasons uh, qualifying for the Champions League once again is this is this signs of progress under Jurgen Klopp it is um, and I also think this summer is a, is a really big one for for Liverpool because they, they've got these aspirations I think obviously like a lot of teams in there, they want to win the Premier League. That's totally understandable. It's how you do that when I think you can't quite attract the top-level talent. So, for example, Sadio Mane was huge for them this year. Actually, a really great signing. But he's come from Southampton. You look at, and granted, not all of these players were, were a huge success, but Memphis Depay, Alexis Sanchez, players that ultimately... Uh, Liverpool pushed hard for but couldn't convince to come to, to Anfield that's not ideal for them and I think you can be smart in the market for, for as long as you want and certainly you look at someone like Monaco and say well there's a great example of a team that didn't shop at the top end of the market and still were able to win the league I think given that they've got Champions League as well Liverpool they need to be very clear on what they want their squad to look like. And I think the, the work needs to start like yesterday because I, th- I actually think their squad is a little unbalanced. I think at centre of defence, I still have major concerns. And then also when I look up front, I don't think Sturridge is reliable. Um, and I think just in general, they maybe need a few marquee players and maybe even someone like Gruwich to come up big next season and, and start to, to impact the first team. Do we think a B is a fair grade, Dave? I mean, they had an awful start to the year. Uh, cost them in, in the league, where talk of a title challenge disappeared. Cost them in the Cups as well. Meek exits from both uh, the FA Cup and the League Cup. Is a B or a C maybe even fairer? No, I think, I think a B. They got they got the job done. They, they got into the top four. I think that was their aim for this season, is to stay in... Um, you know, stay competitive in the Premier League and get into that Champions League. I think that's a big, big thing. 
you get there, there's a lot of things that open up, signings and so forth. Like Chris said, they, they chased these players, but they didn't quite get them. I think the big thing for Liverpool was, unfortunately, Coutinho's injury. You know, they were rocking. Liverpool were absolutely flying in the league um, before Coutinho got injured uh, in, you know, November. End of November, he got injured and then they went on a run of, you know, a very bad run through from December all the way up to, you could argue, February, March time. This big thing, Coutinho was so important for them at the start of the season, was in such good form. Uh, they could break teams down, they didn't have the problem. And then they came up to this point where they didn't have Coutinho, Sadio Mane went, and they had nobody to really unlock a defence. And arguably, it's Jurgen Klopp's issue to fix. Jurgen Klopp needs to diversify his squad, he needs more options um, apart from these two guys to run the show. But I think Coutinho this season has been brilliant. You know, 13 goals, Liverpool's joint top scorer in the Premier League. You know, apart from, you know, he did miss a massive chunk of the season with injury. Seven assists, only Wijnaldum's got more assists. So if they can keep Coutinho, they've got a real good building block there and a superstar in the making. And that's what I think they've got. And if they can play him in this uh, 4-4-2 diamond as a left central midfielder, where he's played in the, in the last uh, few weeks, they've got a system there that Jürgen Klopp can build on. Adam Lallana at the tip as well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Giving them pressing. I think there's some good thing there. They need a striker. Simo Verna would be perfect for them. Um, they could probably do with a, a central midfielder, Naby Keita. Basically, they need to sign every single RB Leipzig player um, and Neil <laughs> Forsberg as well. And then they'll be absolutely fine. B. We'll go for B then for Jurgen Klopp's side. Uh, moving on to Manchester City. Um, hard not to see it as a disappointment. Uh, Pep Guardiola's first season in the uh, in the Premier League, Chris. I mean, I had them down to win the Premier League. Lawrence and Dave both had them to finish second. In the end, a third-place finish. Um, the minimum, really, uh, they had to achieve this season. Champions League qualification after failure, as it were, in the Champions League, in the FA Cup uh, as well. A third place finish. How are we rating this one? Are we going for a C, given the resources, given the manager? An F for fraud. Um, Fraudiola, we've got. Fraudiola, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm being got. massively facetious. He, he's, he's not a, a fraud. I think what he is, I mean, he talked, it's interesting, he talked about how in Germany he had to adapt tactically to, to fit the situation. I think. This job, granted he hasn't had a, a, a very long managerial career, has needed the biggest adaptation in terms of his style and what he wants to do. Um, you look at that squad, you look at where it's at in terms of its lifespan, I think probably he's a year late for it. 
And so a lot of the players that are likely going to leave, you look at Sagna, Clichy, Zavaleta, I mean, Tour is, is, is up there in years. It's an old squad, really. And I think, first and foremost, Guardiola, I, I personally believe, likes to work with younger players. And I see why, because they're easier to teach. They're easier to um, just manage, I think, as, as, as egos and individuals because they haven't really experienced much. And that's where he's kind of come unstuck a bit because he's probably looked at the academy and said, well, these players aren't up to the level either, so I could chuck an Angelino or a Mafio in there. It's not going to have a drastic impact. So instead of ostracizing these established players and potentially falling foul of them, I'll just keep playing them and seeing who can adapt. Someone like Kolarov, for example, playing at centre-back. That's why I think this summer is going to be a, a really interesting one if I'm a City fan because... Everyone's pointing to the fact that there's going to be a massive overhaul. I don't know if you can really do that from a financial perspective, but then also every club in, in Europe of that level that you're going to be shopping at knows you're coming. And if, if I'm Monaco, for example, or I'm Dortmund, and, and I see Manchester City send through a fax for one of our players, you better believe I'm going to put a, a tax on that to try and get the most that I can because... Like I say, it's about supply and demand, and, and Man City's demand for new players is, is awfully high this summer. The clubs still use fax machines for transfers? They still still going that route? Yeah, definitely. Old school, retro, I like it. Um, what do you reckon, Dave? Because, you know, I mean, uh, at the start of the season, as I said, we were expecting them to, to, to walk the league almost, uh, but those defensive issues came back to haunt me. I think they've, they've they've done well. I think there's more to this season than just Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola is a wonderful coach, but you don't give him the assets in the right areas. you got an issue. Why the hell they never signed two fullbacks either in January or at the start of the season? I don't know. You know They've got enough money to get whoever they want, but they didn't. It was a real weird one, Guardiola thinking that he can coach certain players into positions and not coach others. You know The likes of Joe Hart going away to Torino, can't coach a goalkeeper. But I can coach someone like Pablo Zabaleta, Bakary Zagner, Gael Clichy, Kolarov to being a fullback in a Pep Guardiola system, which didn't work at all. I think that's been the problem. You know, Navas playing right back at the end of the season and Fernandinho playing there. It was all a bit of a mess for Guardiola this season. The last, you know, the last four games, City have looked really good. I really like the Gabriel Jesus. I think he's a fantastic player. Um, been directly involved in 11 goals in just uh, I think eight Premier League starts and really gives Aguero something else you know he's got another striker to play with it's almost like City play a lopsided 4-4-2 in a way with Gabriel Jesus um, and Aguero up front with Sane is more of like a natural winger so it works a lot better for them Kevin De Bruyne has been in fantastic form in the last month or so but again went went missing around February until good halfway through April so it's one of these things where the consistency of City needs to improve. I'd argue as well, Vincent Company is a massive asset to this Manchester City team in terms of not just his, his aggression and sheer ability to defend, but I also think it gives them a lot in, in a passing sense. Something that Nico Morales would, would dis dispute, but I think that with his ability to play risky passes into central midfield to break the lines is a real asset for Guardiola. And John Stones, for all the good passes he's played, has also had a number of stinking games. So it's one of these things where Guardiola needs a... Uh, you know, at least a whole summer to to play with John Stones and to teach him to, you know, coach him into a better being a better player. There could be room to maybe go out there and get another centre back, maybe two two fullbacks, a defensive midfield as needed. Then Manchester City are fine, but I think they've got to address those problems in the summer. And they didn't do it last summer when the the problems were exactly the same. So for me, it's been. I'd say it's a C because I expected City to win the Premier League with the squad, with the firepower, but unfortunately, at fullback was the big issue. 
City, I think, is a, is a fair assessment. I mean, you say you expected City to win the league, Dave. In terms of your predictions, you actually had Manchester United down to be Premier League champions. Uh, as it happened, though, they finished sixth in the league. Uh, they did no win way. the EFL Cup. Um, but, I mean, as we all know, so much riding now on Wednesday night, riding on the Europa League in terms of qualification for the Champions League. In terms of their league form, though, Dave, as I said, you were predicting them to finish first, so it's been a complete and utter failure, hasn't it? Well, Adam, in fact, it's not a massive failure because if you, um, in fact, took Man United's draws in the Premier League and you turned those into wins, a single margin, you know, a goal, a handball, a if foul. my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a bike. Uh, hold on, Adam, the propaganda is properly in swirling form right now. <laughs> United would finish on 99 points, which in fact would make them Premier League champions by a margin of six points ahead of <sighs> Chelsea and ahead of Tottenham. Wow. It's a great point. It's, it's the small margins, Adam. You know, it's those nil-nil draws to one-nil wins, the 1-1 the draws that we've seen so many times at home. That's it. Small margins in the Premier League, Adam. You know, even if United have potentially won... Uh, I'm trying to work out the maths in my head dead quickly, and I can't because it's late in the day. But if they'd won a few, <laughs> if they'd won a few of those games at the withdrawals, oh. they would have won the Premier League. Won. So in they fact, I was right. I was right 100%. You were right, hypothetically speaking, in the end, as you say, there are too many draws, uh, too cautious for Mourinho. I mean, how would you assess his performance this season? Because in terms of resources at his disposal, a lot of it has been made about how you know Mourinho has the most expensive squad in the world at his fingertips, and yet he can't manage uh, a campaign on multiple fronts, as it seems. <laughs> a campaign on multiple fronts. The most games United have played since like the 80s or the 60s or something. It's been an incredibly long season for Manchester United. I think Mourinho getting to a position where he, he's one game away from being in the Champions League is a fantastic achievement. Um, in terms of what United needs to improve on, it's that finishing, it's the goals from midfield, it's the goals from not your striker. It's been absolutely pathetic. You know, Anton Griezmann, you take him as a striker, he scored 16 goals in the league of this season. That's more goals than Martial, Mkhitaryan and one matter of managing the Premier League. It's quite pathetic how many goals they've scored and they've assisted. But also in terms of criticism of Mourinho, he hasn't really stuck to um, two of these guys in the Premier League. It's been in and out and they've not played enough minutes. As an attacker, I feel that you need to play minutes. You need to get lots of minutes under your belts. belt. And, and none of the United attackers have got over 2,000 minutes. In the Premier League, which uh, isn't really good enough for Mourinho next season, he needs to go with some guys. You know, he needs to pick his his starting his best eleven in a way. The games, though, we've seen some games where United have had like thirty five shots on goal, and um, you know, someone like Tom Eaton's put in a worldie, um, or we've had someone like the Stoke City goalkeeper just putting in unbelievable saves against Latin Bridge. It's been a, it's been a season of luck, poor finishing, but also good goalkeeping for the opposition. So I think for United, it's a good place to be right now, but there needs to be some improvement. And someone like Anton Griezmann that was heavily linked with United today saying on French TV that it was a 6 out of 10 for him joining, signing for Manchester United, that's the step in the right direction. Based on this season though, Chris, surely it's a C as it stands. I mean, if they don't qualify for, for the Champions League through the Europa League, we're looking at a D, surely? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. The thing is with Man United, it's such a hard read because... Uh, in doing a piece on David Moyes today you look and you say well did he push them a few years back and then you look at Van Hall and say well he spent an obscene amount of money and then you look at Mourinho and say well he spent an obscene amount of money and, and sometimes it's that you get caught in that trap of trying to blame just one person instead of saying well actually this aspect of Moyes caused problems in the same way that this of Van Hall and etc etc 
I don't think they've been entertaining to watch. I think the uh, the Pogba deal. Yes, it was a good deal to do because you know it's bringing a guy home that I think means a lot to supporters. But then also they did kind of get the pants pulled down a little bit, and and what I mean by that is they paid eighty nine million for a player that while is a very unique quantity in world football. I'm just not sure whether he'll ever be able to live up to that height because I don't think he's that kind of player. He's not like a Ronaldo or a Bale who will get an obscene number of goals and assists. What he will do are things that maybe you don't always notice unless someone points out. And I look at this summer and there's talk that they want Griezmann and all this and and it ultimately leads me to the conclusion that when will they stop spending money? Because for me, Manchester United just seem to identify a new problem each month and then think, okay, well, we can buy X to solve Y. There has to be a moment where it's actually someone like the boy Harrop who came in on on Sunday. That should be the future. There's such a a fixation, not just at Man United, I think in in football in general, to to solve every issue with money. And we don't really put much onus on, on coaching through problems and maybe looking in the academy and saying, let's give this guy a try, see if he can do something. It's no guarantee of success. Of course it's not. To me, though, it seems like it's exhausting all of your options before you have to go into the market and spend money. Mm. Yes, fair enough. Fair enough. I think fair. just on the on the Paul Pogba thing, I think that he's shown that he's he's on his way to being worth eighty nine million pound. I don't think it's in terms of the eighty nine million is just set by the market. Unfortunately, now I don't think it's I don't think um, money now in football should be associated with position. You know, obviously, you say okay, uh, you know, a striker for ninety million should score you X amount of goals. Then technically, a central midfielder for that amount of money should complete you that many passes in a certain area, which Paul Pogba has, has excelled at this season. Man United looks so poor with him out the side. When he's in the side, United actually play well. And it shows at 23, 24 years old that if he can do that now, when he's 26, 27, he's going to be dominating games, which will put that price tag of 89 million It'll actually make it well It'll worth like the, the bargain. Eh? It'll look like an absolute bargain. <laughs> uh, let's go for a C for now, then. I think a lot. Uh, I'm going to say be... an A, Adam, because Mourinho <laughs> has won the Europa League touch wood. We'll see. We'll see what happens on Wednesday night. Um, let's move on to Middlesbrough. Uh, obviously relegated themselves, finishing in 19th place. Poor season, I think it's fair to say, Chris. I mean, they drew 13 games, uh, second only in terms of the most draws to, of course, Manchester United. So they would have won the league then, Adam. In many ways. Uh, only scored 27 goals as well. That's two less than Harry Kane uh, by himself. I mean, it was all a bit uh, tepid, really, from Middlesbrough. Yeah, the, you know, the, the funny thing is with them, they went down, I think it was 08 or 09, something like that, and they spent a long time trying to get back into the Premier League, and they finally do it, and it felt like they just didn't try. Not, not in terms of effort on the field. I think the players did give a lot. But you look at the signings they made, they, they essentially lumped all their eggs into an Alvaro and a Grado shaped basket and said, that guy will, will hopefully keep us up. And yet, the players surrounding him, there really wasn't anyone that creative in midfield. Adama Traore can run with it, but he can't do anything when he gets in the final third. Victor Fischer hardly figured. Martin Duran's a decent central midfielder and Victor Valdez is a good goalkeeper. But so so much of their transfer strategy, to me, seemed reactionary and uh, responding to an opportunity in the market rather than this is the player we identified in January when we, when we felt we could go up and now we're coming to, to sign them. You even look at the, the, the promotion campaign, they scored 
a really small number of goals. Um, in fact, I looked at it the other day. I don't think even one of their players broke double figures in the league. I think nine was the highest they got. Now, that's in the championship. And you, you bear in mind, for, for comparison's sake, I think Brighton had Murray, Knockout broke, both broke double figures. I know Perez, Richie, Gale all did it. And, you know, it, it, you look at it and you say, well, you know, what did you think was going to happen when, <laughs> when you got promoted? Because there was nothing going to get easier in terms of scoring goals. If anything, we always say it's harder to score goals in the top flight. So I'm kind of disappointed we're in Middlesbrough. I expected more. I think we all expected more. Um, like I said, a tepid season. I expect them to finish 15th. That was my prediction. Same for Lawrence. You went for 11th, Dave. Um, so what are we saying for Middlesbrough? Are we saying an E? Are we saying an F? They've let me down. Big. They have let you down, big. Um, they've made you look a fool in many ways. But if only they converted mm. those draws into wins, it would be That's very That's exactly different. what I'm saying, Adam. I'll be correct again. Should this is the problem. Should we go for F? Yeah, a D. I think they knew what, like Chris is saying, they kind of knew what, they, maybe even a C, they kind of knew what they had. E. Let's go for E. Mm. Um, That's all deal. Let's move swiftly on to Southampton, Dave. Uh, finished eighth. Solid season, would you say? I mean, they did get to the EFL Cup final where they were robbed, I think. It's safe to say, <laughs> by Manchester United. Um, Beat by <laughs> basically. Um, I mean, there's talk now of Claude Puel leaving the club. Uh, talk they could get Marco Silva in to replace him. Um, talk of, you know, uh, Virgil van Dijk leaving, of course. I mean, uh, an eighth place finish is, is respectable for Southampton, is it not? Are we talking a B grade here? I think Southampton is an interesting one. Defensively, they're very good. Tactically, they look very good. They just lack something going forward. You know, Gabbiadini came in and scored a few goals. Austin did well at the start and then got injured. And Jay Rodriguez has been in and out of the side. I think that's the big problem. They only scored 41 goals in the Premier League. There are only six teams in the Premier League to score fewer goals. That's Watford, Stoke, Burnley, Hull City, Sunderland and Middlesbrough. They're all teams that were fighting relegation. So I think that's the thing, the sort of, uh, you know, qualms that the Southampton fans have. But you flip side that with... Uh, pure side last season, Nice, who had um, Hatim Benarfa, who scored a hatful of goals. So I think the thing with Puel is he just needs somebody to carry them in an attacking sense. And unfortunately, Southampton didn't have that. Nathan Redmond wasn't quite good enough. You know, he's finished as their top scorer with seven goals, which is pretty pitiful. So I think the big thing they need to do is find a, find a striker in the transfer window um, that can sort of support Gabbiadini and Charlie Austin next season. I don't think he should go. I think he's done some really good stuff. I think the form... Um, uh, Romeo has been absolutely fantastic, you know, going from a bit part player in Southampton under Merle Koeman to being that defensive midfield star. And he's won 88 tackles in the Premier League this season, which is, uh, you know, flying for a defensive midfielder and, and you know, been linked with a move back to Barcelona. Uh, obviously, it's just a link, but still, I think he's had a very, very good season, obviously winning their player of the season. So I think he's done, Puel's done some good stuff, but I think it's opening them up going forward is his big challenge over the summer. Okay, interesting. Should we say... See, no, I think, I think that he's, I think he's got an A, right? Again, Southampton losing their main weapon on the attack. I'm so say B. I think B is a fairer assessment. They finished um, eighth, yeah. I mean, it's solid, but it's not, uh, it's not overly impressive, I'd say. Okay, I like that. You're sort Why of they? expecting that, you know. Um, no. let's talk about Stoke. I mean, just a few weeks ago, Chris, we were talking about Premier League purgatory. Uh, it was free, nine place finishes in a row for Mark Hughes at the Potters. They seem to have gone backwards somewhat, though. A 13th place finish this season in the Premier League. A lot of discontent now among Stoke fans. All in all, quite disappointing, I think it's safe to say. Um, I mean, we'll see where they improve in the summer. But in terms of this season, it's got to be, what, a C, a D, surely? Yeah, 
C minus, I think. Um, because basically, Stoke have done okay. The problem is they've spent some money on, on decent players like Mbula, Berahino, and they haven't worked out. That's my issue with um, Mark Hughes. I think he's peaked. And so the difficulty for a club like Stoke now is they can sit with Hughes as it is, invest a decent amount of money every season and stay relatively where they are, probably with a little you know, plus or minus two spaces, um, depending on, on how injuries and suspensions go every year. They can take the risk, in inverted commas, of hiring somebody different. You look at some of the, the left-field coaches that have been hired of late, David Wagner at Huddersfield, um, his, his replacement at Dortmund, a chap called Fark has just gone to Norwich today. There's no guarantee Fark's a success, but again, there are, I think, potential, potentially good coaches that maybe don't have an established name yet that Stoke could target. Um, because I think actually going for a name brand coach is probably not the best idea for them, because I think that's kind of what they did with Hughes. The issue I have with them in general is it just doesn't feel like progress or regression in a lot of ways. It just feels like existing. And I think that's the problem is, you know, obviously Dave has <laughs> lived his emotions out on this pod this season. You're constantly looking for progression, whether you're a Man United fan or you're a Stoke fan. And I don't know where the progression has come from with, with Stoke because it's not like they're putting through a bunch of academy lads all of a sudden. In fact, I think notoriously they've got next to no academy players coming through. They've spent a good amount of money since they got But again, bar that brief sojourn into the UEFA Cup, I'm not really seeing a, a huge deal of, of improvement from that first year or two with, with Roy Delap and the long throws. Mm, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I expect a little bit more from from Stoke there, Dave. Maybe to build upon those, those ninth-placed finishes. Uh, I had them down... Be tenth, to be honest, along with Lawrence, you had them to be twelfth. I mean, uh, in terms of judging the season, in terms of judging Mark Hughes, with some of the signings they had there, you know, I think Wilfried Bonny and Seder Berahino scored what two goals between them. Joe Allen, I think, turned out to be a better signing, but overall, it's a D, isn't it? Well, to say, Adam, um, I got it spot on. Should you say that's pretty decent? Put him in what? I put him in 12th, did you say? Yeah, that's, that's, that's excellent. That's top spot. No, I'm still in the fact that Tony Poulos would probably be doing a better job than Mark Hughes would be right now. Um, I think that Stoke were in an identity crisis bit where they'd seen Tony Poulos for a little bit too long and they thought you know going a different direction would be a good thing. I don't think Mark Hughes is a different direction. He's the same direction. Um, you're not really going to blow people away by his football. Comes in with his big ego. And like you say, in the signings in the summer... Wilfred Bonny is a cracking signing. How the hell he's not scored? How the hell you've not built a system around Bonny? I don't really know. Um, it's, it's perplexing for me how you've not built a system to create chance. I think that goes down to having very selfish attackers and Altovich, Shakiri, all for themselves, and that's it. The reason why they're at Stoke is to, you know, a stepping stone to another place in their career. Do you really want too many of these types of players that don't really want to play for Stoke? Probably not. So it's one of these things where. The signings, the the management of Stoke right now is is in a very very poor position. If they don't buck their ideas up, they're going to be in you know in a big battle for relegation in the summer. Mm. We come now to Sunderland. In the summer, Chris. sorry, next season. Next season, uh, we come now to Sunderland, Chris, who uh, set an unwanted record this season. Uh, 
finishing bottom of the Premier League now on three separate occasions, a uh, joint record with Nottingham Forest. Uh, potentially a you, I think we could grade this season, potentially down to one man and one man in particular, David Moyes, who of course resigned today from the club, bringing to an end uh, what, what has to be said has been a bit of a car crash of a season, Chris. Massively so. And and he's a lot of the reason to blame for that. Um, like I say, I've, I've just finished writing something for, for Yahoo on the, the matter. For me, you look at him and, and he's still got so many of the scars from Man United um, showing. He's really poor media handler, not a very good tactician. And the, the failures he's had as a coach don't seem to have improved him. If anything, they seem to have pushed him further into a, a hole. So it's it's a poor one. And, and I feel sorry for Sunderland because when they, they hired Moyes, they talked about stability and you know looking up the league rather than down. And now they're in quite a precarious position because, yes, Moyes has, has opted to resign, basically stopping them from having to pay out, which is one of the reasons they didn't want to sack him was because they couldn't afford to pay him off. I don't know where next for Sunderland. That's that's the worry because all the potential players you would sell to make money to fund new players um, are going to be massive gaps in the squad. Jordan Pickford is, I would say, one of, if not the best prospect I've seen come through that club in the Premier League era. Um, Lamine Corne doesn't seem interested at all and by all accounts asked not to play on the final day of the season, which makes his sale so much harder from a Sunderland perspective because you can't really demand top dollar for a player that's that's actively trying to force a move away. I, I would hope they'd try and move towards a more youth-centric approach, um, get a Wagner-like candidate in, someone that maybe doesn't need much technical talent but can still forge something. Um, I honestly think as it stands now, and granted, They've not really had a day to, to put themselves together, sign a player or anything like that. I think it will take a miracle for them to, to, to get someone through the door that can get them up at the first time of asking anyway. Probably a fair assessment. Um, it's hard to disagree with that, Dave. But I mean, in terms of this season, uh, obviously it's been abysmal. Obviously David Moyes has been very poor uh, at the helm. Probably one of the few things he got right was predicting that they would be in a relegation battle so early in the season. But is this not a case of, you know, this is a club who've been fighting relegation for years now. This is the proverbial chickens coming home to roost, is it not, for some of them? So come on, David Moyes, let's play like Fergie's boys. They definitely didn't play like Fergie's boys this season, did they? Absolutely. There's so many players in that squad that you think, how are you still playing Premier League football? Uh, surely somebody should have been you off. One of the managers should have sat you off for, you know either a redundancy in your game or poor attitude and someone like Coney as well been heavily linked with Everton last summer Everton could probably get him for a cheap now which would be quite a good deal but it just seems that his attitude isn't great it's, it's they've created this weird squad that, that seems to get up for certain managers and not for other you know you think that the Canio um, there how many years ago was that and it seems like it's the same squad still they haven't really moved it on and signing all of uh, David Moyes' players uh, from his days at Everton just seems absolutely atrocious. Wasn't a great idea in the first place. So, I don't know. Poor old David Moyes. It's all over for him. I think in the managerial game, he's a dinosaur, hasn't evolved his methods, and that's it. Done. Retirement. You? Are we going for a you or for, for the season? Un- yeah, unmarkable, is that, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, terrible. Put, it, put, his, put his exam in the bin. Let's uh, move on to Swansea then. Uh, obviously, once again, season of two halves. Uh, our mate Bob Bradley at the club uh, at the start of the season. Um, 
I think it's fair to say, struggled somewhat. Uh, Swansea mired in relegation trouble, leading to the appointment of Paul Clement, who in the end won nine of his 18 Premier League games at the helm of the club, uh, leading them to safety at the end of the day. Uh, for Swansea, though, a, a club that we, Dave, uh, predicted would be relegated, uh, apart from you, who said they'd be 13th. Is this a failure of a season? Is it a success to just stay in the Premier League? Um, I think it's it's a successful end to the season for sure. Um, I think they've they've done very well under under Clement. I think it's uh, like Chris saying about going for different you know different coaches and managers. It's shown that you should go for good coaches, and that's what Clement's done. I think the the form of Gilfie Sigurdsson, the form of Lorente has been fantastic since he's come in. Those two have combined uh, for the highest amount of goals in the Premier League of any duo in terms of you know assist to goal scorer. So they've got a method and it works. I think it's going to be a really interesting summer. I can't wait for Swansea to um, you know sign some players and so forth. Obviously these American owners that aren't favoured by their fans. It's going to be an interesting summer. But I want to I want to see the old sort of Swansea back that was playing some really good football and and you know Leon Britton completely controlling the game, which he has done arguably under. Um, Paul Clement they're very good when I saw them live um, at Old Trafford against Manchester United played a nice 4-4-2 diamond and then they're, they're, they're a progressive club they just had a little bit of a stumbling block with these new owners so it's just trying to get back on track to the old Swansea way hmm. but a good season yeah 15th, 15th in the end um, you know uh, safety guaranteed with a game to spare Chris and you know if they do manage to hang on to, to the likes of Gilfie Sigurdsson and Fernando Llorente this summer reasons to uh, reasons to be optimistic for Swansea yeah, I think I think they found success when they went back to the Swansea ethos. That that is partly getting Clement on board. It's getting guys like Tom Carroll, who actually think was or has been, excuse me, so much better in the six months he's been at Swansea than the, the years he was at Tottenham because he looks a lot more dynamic first and foremost. Doesn't look like he's playing with with a tenth of the sort of pressure that he uh, that he put on himself when he was at Spurs. Um, with that said, yeah, I, th- I think for them, it's it's about finding stability next year. I, I don't think there's any shame in trying to finish 12th. Um, it's probably not the ambitious aspect that, uh, or it's probably not the ambitious approach that their fans would like. But I think realistically, it it just gets them back to where they need to be, and then they can build. Um, because I think they were far too close for for comfort when it came to to being relegated this season. Hmm, maybe we should have an average of a C then. Uh, sort of average over all those those managers. Francesco Guidlin, of course, who was there at the start, Bob Bradley, and now Paul Clement. Let's see, seems like a fair enough assessment. Uh, we come now to the mighty Tottenham Hotspur. Of course, who finished second, one place above my prediction. I said third, as did Lawrence. You, Dave, said fifth. Um, I mean, I'm keen to get your opinion on their season, Dave. For me, as a Spurs fan, though, I think it's been massively impressive. Yes, you know, there was the, the disappointment of the Champions League campaign. Uh, and some of the summer signings, namely Vincent Janssen and Musa Suzoko, who uh, who it's hard to feel, uh, it's hard to escape the feeling they weren't a complete waste of money. Um, but apart from that, you know, it's been a fantastic league campaign, the best league campaign in Spurs history, certainly the highest points tally in Premier League's history. It's been uh, a fantastic season of progress, I think, under Mauricio Pochettino, albeit without a trophy uh, that's so desperately desired. And I mean, I... Bearing in mind the expectations at the start of the season, you know, this was a side who so disappointingly crumbled away at the end of last season. They started the season really strongly, showed a, a strong mentality, and at the end of the season as well. I mean, they've been really firing all cylinders, something you said wouldn't happen, Dave. You were expecting them to fall away in the final stages. 
Um, I, I think that that comes down to a number of things. I think one, it comes down to that they put all their bags in the Premier League basket and they didn't win the Premier League, which is something that potentially you could see as, as a slight failure. You know, they were terrible in the Champions League. They were awful. They've cost the English coefficient a number of points. I think, in a way, Pochettino needs to work on himself there. You know, not getting out of that group was pretty ridiculous, was quite poor. That's something that Pochettino as a manager needs to work on. Um, managing games across multiple competitions is a difficult thing. Um, managing a squad as well, I think that's something that Pochettino definitely needs to work on. But he's got the the basis of a brilliant manager. Tactically, Spurs are fantastic to watch. Like, you know, everything that's going around, they've scored the most goals, they've conceded the fewest goals and so forth. But it's all about, you know, the front four, Son, back end of the season has been brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, Harry Kane's getting the plaudits for scoring all the goals. But Son has been a vital part of that front front. Front three with um, you know, Kane and, and Deli Ali of the you know, last few games, or Ericsson in as well. So I've just really enjoyed watching them and watching the development of them, you know, going to a back three system, playing high up the pitch, controlling games from their, their back three, uh, be it with starting with a four-man defence or starting with a three-man defence. Eric Dyer has been really good this year. They've just all been very good. But the, the thing, the criticism I'd have is they're not competing in the Champions League. I think that could have been something that Spurs could have done very well. Hmm. considering their youthfulness and their pressing and their ability to take their, the game to their opponent. And I, was, I saw them against Monaco. Monaco are a brilliant side, but the Monaco that I saw beat Spurs wasn't the Monaco playing a 4-4-2. They were still playing a sort of you know 4-4-1-1 with an attacking midfielder behind. They weren't as dangerous on the attack. And Spurs were very, very poor that day on the ball. Very, very poor at Wembley, which is a big, big concern going into next season. But this season they were brilliant. It is indeed a big concern. As for this season, though, Chris, uh, the most goals scored, uh, fewest goals conceded. It has been a fantastic campaign, albeit finishing second to, I think, deserving champions in Chelsea. Um, it's an interesting question Dave raises there. You know, uh, In terms of this season, do we slightly downgrade it? Maybe it's an A- minus based on those Champions League performances, something to improve on for next season? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Perfectly summed up. I love it. Um Okay, let's move swiftly on then to none other than Watford. Uh, disappointing finish to the season. I'd like to point out I got it bang on. 17th, I said they'd finish. Um, so, extra points for me. Uh, in the end, pretty uh, poisonous atmosphere at Vicarage Road. Uh, Chris, uh, with Walter Matsari leaving. Massive disappointment given uh, what seemed to be a promising performance uh, at some stage in the season to, to finish so poorly to, to be flirting with disaster to be flirting with relegation it has been uh, somewhat of a what a D season an E season maybe um, I don't like I don't like the way some fans have trapped Matsari uh, I appreciate that maybe he might not be the man you want but there's, there's some of it's felt a little bit sinister uh, I think I think, honestly, what Watford need now is a bit of continuity, a bit of stability. They're in a similar boat to, to Swansea. Not to say that I thought they were close to and relegated, but what I mean by that is you look at the fact that Jukanovic left when they got promoted, um, that Mazzari's leaving after a year, Kiki Sanchez-Flores left after a year. It's just a constant sort of you know cycle of, of change, and I, and I don't know how healthy it is for a football club I would say the same of Southampton in fact um, as good as they've got at identifying coaches if you're going to replace Claude Puel make sure it's for two three years make sure it's someone that can put some roots down and build something 
um, because I'm not suggesting you give power to the manager in, in that sense. But I think you do need to, to have just that little bit of continuity. And for me, Watford, they didn't have a great season. I don't think that maybe they pushed on in the same way that they wanted to. Um, I thought Kapua was a pretty inspired sign. He'd been quite good. Uh, but yeah, for, for me, next season... And, and probably the season after that, it has to be about continuity now and, and making that next step a, a right one. A fair assessment, Dave, of, uh, of Watford's season. I think stability is something they, they sorely need. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I don't think they're ever going to get that with the current owners, unfortunately. Uh, that's a bit of a problem. Um, we saw Kiki Sanchez Flores had a brilliant mid season, uh, struggled at the end and lost his job. Matsari had a very good start to the season and again has lost his job. So, again, what they're going to do in the summer, they'll get a new manager. He'll bring his own players in. You know, we've seen uh, Flores bring in his Spanish-speaking players. Now we're seeing the Italian-speaking players. So, next season, maybe we'll see the German-speaking players and what for a win the Premier League. Let's go for a D overall, then. They did survive, after all. Just about. Um, we come on to the Penultimate Club, West Bromwich Albion. Uh, slap bang in the middle of the table. Tenth place finish for Tony Pulis's side. I mean, yes, uh, their form may have dropped off at the end of the season, Chris, but overall, it's been a good campaign, has it not, for Tony Pulis and for West Brom, who are particularly impressive in the first half of the season. I mean, obviously, they've got the new owners in there. There's talk of investment this summer, potential uh, room for improvement, potential foundations to, to build on. But this season, maybe a C? Yeah, but... <laughs> Difficult because I would say I'd be my gut said C minus just because of the way the season ended. Um, like things could have been so much better for for them, and I, and I feel like once they had broke that forty point barrier, it kind of really lost a lot of momentum. Um, Pulis is is trapped in in a difficult position as well because he's very organised and one of his strengths is set pieces, and I don't think enough teams exploit set pieces or, or take care of them from a defensive end either. Next season, you've got to think he tries to push on, but I don't know the quality of player he can realistically attract to West Brom because even if they've got the financial count of Premier League money, they haven't really achieved anything while they've been in the Premier League in, in so much as they haven't been in Europe, they haven't really made a good assault on the top eight. So you, you're kind of selling players that you're going to sign on, on hopes and dreams rather than this is what we've done. Um, and I think that's always a bit more difficult. Me and Lawrence went for a 16th place finish. Uh, you went for 15th, Dave, in the end. 10th place. They've almost exceeded expectations. But as Chris says, there's they need to kick on from this now, surely. Seems like I'm getting quite a lot right, Adam. I think I might have to calculate no, the exact no. the exact point difference between... But then again, I beat you two. So therefore, I got plus one there if we we're talking no, the golf I handicap. I promise you, Lawrence is the clear, clear winner. You got zero bang on. Uh, Lauren's got two, I got one, and uh, like I said, you got zero. Yeah, but well, are, we, are we working this out? Are we working out the differential? Are we working out the numbers we got right? You know, because if we're doing the right, it's a you know, it's a needle in the haystack. I'll let approach. you work out the differential, and I'm pretty confident you'll still finish last. Okay, you've just given a statistician the chance to work with numbers <laughs> to figure out a way. Cheers, mate. I'm a champion already, mate. <laughs> Give me, we'll send me, send me the Ferrero Rochers, Adam. We you know where I live. See. Um, <laughs> Talk to, me, talk to me about... Uh, I can't even remember who we were talking about now. Who are we talking about? Tony P. Oh, Tony, Tony P's Barmy Army. Of course yeah. we can't does he, forget does about Tony P's Barmy Army. For this, uh, for this of course he does. You know, the amount of goals they've scored from set pieces has been beautiful this season. You know, 16 goals from corners. That is incredible. That's the best in the Premier League. I think what Tony Pulis builds is stability at a football club. And that's exactly what 
teams need. And I just think that Tony Pulis, like Sam Allardyce, is massively underrated as a manager and deserves far more respect um, than, honestly, what he gets. So I think with uh, Tony Pulis, he, he deserves um, massive respect for what he's done with this West Brom squad because, he's, again, he's turned them around, hasn't he? Massively turned them around to turn them into a real, um, you know, dominant, dominant side in the Premier League in terms of th- their bracket. You know, 10th position for Tony Poole, this is fantastic. So, yeah, I think Tony deserves a lot of credit. He's a good guy. Um, and I give <laughs> him an A-star. See, it is. Uh, West Ham, our final team, uh, 11th in the end, they finished. Uh, myself and Lawrence went for a 7th place finish. We expect them to kick on this season. You, Dave, went for 10th. Uh, so, uh, not a bad differential there in the end. Uh but it has been a disappointing season, has it not? I mean, obviously, struggles were there at London Stadium. Uh, issues with Dimitri Payet's whole drama uh, at Christmas when he ended up leaving for Marseille's former club. But we were expecting more. It's been an underwhelming season for Slavin Bilic, has it not, Dave? <laughs> I, I was expecting that, Adam, to be quite honest. <laughs> you know, you guys putting him in seven. Both of you putting him in seven. And, you know, we got carried away. We got a bit carried away. We I got swept you, up in the times? optimism at the start of the season. Exactly. The optimism of what? Sam Allardyce's brilliant defensive structure. That's about it. Dimitri Payet, you know, a player that was we've seen him be explosive before, run out of teams before, and then, you know, it happened. It's a sad season for West Ham and they deserve a bit more they got a decent fan base and they've got a very decent stadium, but Slavin Bilic isn't the guy to take them forward. Mm. It's just not the right guy for the job. He, they need somebody else. They need a Marco Silva. That's what they need. Well, potentially. I mean, he, he's. it looks like Slavin Bilic is keeping his job now. Obviously, there was a, a period in, in March and April where uh, there was a run of defeats in a row where that looked unlikely. As it stands, they only actually lost one of their last seven games. So I think that potentially has saved him. I mean, he potentially he's not the man to take them forward, Chris, but in terms of this season, 11 place finish in the end. What are we saying? Is that a C? Is that a D? Are we based on the expectations? They spent a lot of money on the likes of IU and they brought a lot of players in and I thought it was quite scattergun. I think there's going to need to be a significant amount of squad reshaping because of the haphazard approach they, they operated in the transfer market. And then you see David Gold say that there's no chance of a young player breaking through or highly unlikely um, of a young player breaking through when they've got guys like Reese Oxford on the books. I'm going to say D, personally. I think with the Olympic Stadium and all that stuff, there was optimism, and I think that optimism has drastically uh, reduced itself. Wow. Um do we also have a klaxon for breaking news? Yes. Klaxon. Uh, wow, this is exciting. Uh, Jack Pitbrook is reporting that Watford is speaking to Roger Schmidt about Whoa. the vacant manager's position at the club. What do you reckon of that, Dave? Oh, baby. I said a German, didn't I? I don't think Schmidt's a German. I think he's is he an Austrian. Oh, baby. Uh, but that that would be excellent for the Premier League. I think again, you're getting a real high quality manager. Didn't quite make it at Leverkusen. You know, the style had a little bit of holes in it in terms of um, you know how it was how they could break it down. You know, if you beat the first press of Leverkusen, you were at their back two. Um, but no, in fact, he is German. I was correct. He's a German, and the German replacing them. So Watford next season are going to win the Premier League with a high pressing four-two-four. You heard it here first. Troy Deeney. 
30 goals. It's easy. I look forward to him getting sacked at the end of the season regardless. Um, West Ham, I think. Let's go for a D. Should we go for a D? That sounds fair enough. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, guys, that brings to an end our Premier League review. We've gone through all 20 teams. Let us know what you think on Twitter. You can tweet us at the front free. Uh, let us know your grades. Let us know whether you agree, whether you disagree. It's been pretty tough to evaluate them all. Um, and I think we'd all agree it's been a fantastic season, um, especially for Spurs. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday, guys. Uh, a lot to talk about with regards to the Europa League. Dave is either going to be a very happy man indeed or miserable as they come. Uh, your score prediction ahead of the game, Dave, as it stands now? 1-1, penalty win to Manchester United. Oh, fingers crossed for a Manchester United loss. I heard something today that, you know, uh, if Manchester United do make it into the competition, um, Tottenham might go into a lower pot. You know, it could potentially mean Spurs are in a tougher group in the Champions League, the group of death, as it were. So, uh, fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah, but Champions League doesn't mean anything to Pochettino anyway, and we discussed this a second ago. We'll see, we'll see. <laughs> when Spurs massively improve their squad depth this summer. I think, uh, you know, we'll see a different beast next season, as it were. For now, though, until Thursday, when we'll be talking Europa League, Dave, where can the whole, where can the listeners find you? Uh, on YouTube, I'm going to do a video on how Manchester United can beat Ajax on the Statman Dave YouTube channel. Sounds fantastic, guys. Do go and check it out. Chris Hennage, where can the people, where can the whole find you? They can find me tweeting in the third person at the front three. Lovely stuff. Guys, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Bold. I also recommend you check out the latest Hashtag Academy video on Spencer's channel. It is, uh, it's the final. It's Jack Durkin versus Scott Park. You can vote for the winner of the whole series there. They get a year's contract Hashtag United. And they also get £3,000 which is uh, better than a slap in the face, as they say. So do go and check that out. I highly recommend it. Not just because I work on it, but it's... Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's quite good fun. Uh, for now, though, guys, we'll see it you on... It is very good, by the way. Oh, nice one. Thank you very much. Uh, guys, we'll see you on Thursday. Until then, have a bloody great week. <laughs>